0: Welcome to the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast, a no-nonsense show designed to help you punch fear in the face and create the life you've always dreamed of. Now, here are your hosts, Vince and Christian.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Middle Class to Millionaires. We've got an exciting episode today. I have the pleasure of interviewing my co-host, Christian, and we're going to get a little perspective into his life, how he grew up how he got into real estate, and some things that should help you on your journey, either in business or in real estate or whatever it is that you're doing. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be jam packed Take notes. Grab a drink. But before we start, uh, just yesterday, no, two days ago, I learned that Jason Castro, a finalist in Season 7 of American Idol, apparently listens to our show. I found out from a, the guy who's doing concrete on our storage facility in East Texas, So shout out to you, Jason, if you're listening today. Thank you so much for being one of our now seven listeners (laughs) on the show. And uh, yeah, just super cool that you're listening. If you don't know about Jason now, he's actually in uh, residential real estate. He was a real estate agent. I don't know if he still is, but he's, from what I've been told, got a pretty successful real estate flipping business and uh, other things that he's doing, and he's just really successful. So Shout out to you, man. Thanks for listening. And let's just get into the show. Christian, how are you, sir?
0: I'm doing very well. How about you, Vince?
1: I'm doing good, man. It's a a warm 72 degrees here in East Tennessee. It's hot.
0: That is very hot right now here in uh, Texas. Uh Oh, 79 degrees.
1: Wow. That's a scorcher. (laughs) Yeah. I got some questions for you that you have already been uh, predisposed to. But I got a little secret one at the end. That's a fun one. Oh, yeah. Right. So prepare yourself.
0: <laughs> well, let's go. Let's get started then.
1: <laughs> let's do it. All right, man. So, uh, so yeah. Again, we're interviewing Christian today. We're going to get into his story. This is going to be a good one. So, Christian, most everyone listening knows about you in some regard because you know this is mine and your podcast that we've been doing for almost three years now, and in some respects, we've shared things here and there. Um, but we don't fully know you. We know a little bit about you, but we don't fully know you. So tell us about your upbringing, your childhood. What did it look like growing up?
0: Yeah, sure thing. So uh, I was born in Dallas, Texas. I've lived in Dallas, Texas all my life and various parts uh, around the DFW area. And the only time I've lived anywhere else would be the exception of like military orders, basically here in, in Dallas, DFW. As a kid, I've always been relatively quiet, you know, I don't necessarily need to fill the air with idle chatter. I like to have meaningful, purposeful conversations. And then other times I just, I like to direct my energy at other things and my thoughts and stuff like that. So I've always been somewhat of a introvert, I guess, in a way. And I do enjoy being alone. And that may be due to being an only child, but I was only an only child for a little bit. I have five siblings, but I didn't necessarily get to, like, grow up with them because I was much older than them. I think I think uh, the biggest gap is 14 years, something like that. So I have a a 14 year old brother um, and the oldest is 25 or 26. I forget their ages, but (laughs) um, so anyways, uh, my mom had me at the age of 14. She was going on 15 and. I don't, most people, a lot of people actually don't know that. Um, I I don't really, that's kind of her story and she's shared it before. She's a, she's a minister. Um, so before I talked about this today, I, you know, I, I asked her about some of my childhood and what, what she'd be open to sharing. She raised me as a single mom with the help of my grandmother e- early on. It was, it was a struggle. Maybe the first year and a half, obviously being a 15 year old trying to raise Son, right? You're still yeah, you know, sure. ninth grade or whatever, uh, eighth grade, um, and so once she turned sixteen, she began working at a club. Uh, no context needed. Once I hit two years old, she had been determined to uh, provide everything for me, right? And so she definitely spoiled me for a good while, and that kind of life was able to provide, you know, toys and clothes and um. Just uh, more than the average mom could afford. And and then eventually she left that life and married and we had more of like a middle class type lifestyle. Aside from that, you know, I've always been kind of a young entrepreneur and it started with um, selling. So I wasn't no judgment. I was in sixth grade, I think. No, I think I was much younger. I was probably six or seven and I was selling rocks as uh, fossil replicas to the kids. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> So the kids, (laughs) I'm actually not shocked, but keep going. (laughs) So to the kids, the kids on the playground and, and there wasn't, there weren't like, you know, cheesy replicas. They were like, they look like shark tooths and, or shark teeth and, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you may question my ethics at the time, but I was six. And then I, it's okay. You get a free pass. (laughs) And then I transitioned to candy bars. So I used to, I think I was in sixth or seventh grade and I would walk to school and there used to be this store called the 99 cent store and they had a lot of cheap stuff. And um, I would go in there and I'd buy the king size bulk pack Snickers and I'd sell them for a dollar each. And that, so that, you know, making two X profit on the candy bars, you know, not a bad, not a bad profit there. All right.
1: That's pretty good. That's good percentage.
0: Yep. And then I, I graduated to selling. This was a seventh and eighth grade. And <laughs> this one's a bit of a shocker, but I started selling butterfly knives. Uh, so are those I, illegal? No, Okay. They're, they're not. They're, they're the knives that you flip and stuff, you know? Oh, okay. Those are legal. Yeah, yeah. switchblades Switch are, are illegal. Switchblades Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. And, anyway. So like, uh, at the time this was, um, I was kind of going back and forth with, uh, visiting my, my dad and my mom split split household. And so I'd go to my dad's and I'd buy them for five bucks. And then I come back to, uh, the McKinney area where they didn't have dollar stores like that. And I'd sell them for twenty bucks. Um, so you know, and you bought four, them for how much? Five dollars. <laughs> wow. All right. But but it's all about supply and demand, right? Because that's true. The, the demand was high. The supply was uh, non-existent because they didn't have those stores, and the kids couldn't get those kind of cool knives. So, um, you know, that that's kind of how I guess my entrepreneurship uh, eventually started. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. We actually started going to church maybe I was around the age of 12 or 13 and at the time I really enjoyed it I just really didn't fully understand like a relationship with Christ meant. and I think from you know 14 14 years old and on I started to uh kind of do my own thing make make not the best decisions uh ended up I ended up moving with my dad around that around that age and um, from that point forward from 15, 14 15 onward to early or late teens i got arrested a few times kind of just learning things the hard way uh you know and i I could have i could have talked to my 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 dad about it because you know he he kind of lived a similar life but he he was much more in 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 it than i was and by the time he was older already a older father you know he could have um i could have asked him he's he's told me some stories and stuff but you know i just i was hard-headed i didn't listen i just did things how I wanted to do them and uh as we and then,
1: all
0: do. Right. And then, you know, college of course. Uh went to UNT for my undergrad. And it was pretty much party and you know, I was also in ROTC at the time. So I did commission as an Army Intel officer in in the reserve. And then about the age of twenty five, I started going to Gate. This is when I started going to Gateway. And then that's whenever I was reeled back in for my nonsense, my my ten year streak of nonsense.
1: That's awesome. Well, for one, let me give a shout out to your mom. For one, having you at such a young age, two, deciding to keep you, to not abort you, that's amazing because she's fourteen years old. And then three, to be able to, I mean, this I guess this is back to point one, but to be able to raise you at such a young age. And this was, you know, you're you're thirty now, right?
0: I'm thirty. Yep.
1: Yeah, so this is 30 years ago. So this is back in the early 90s. Props to her, honestly, Definitely. for being a, a young a young girl. I mean, you're still you're not even close to being an adult and you're raising a kid. And I mean, you you have one kid. I have two. We both know what it's like raising kids and it is not easy. Uh, yeah. I couldn't imagine. I could not imagine having a kid at 14 years old and then having to
0: raise it. I was so stupid at 14 so your mom's listening
1: one of our seven listeners shout out to her
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah she definitely uh man yeah definitely props to her it was definitely not easy um i'm sure she she would tell you the same and she just had to grow up how do you even transition your mind to grow up when you're still not even grown up it's uh you know know. but but we we were blessed to have you know the help of my grandma for Um, sure shout out to her too yeah definitely but, uh, you know, that was some most of my my younger childhood. and Well,
1: cool. Um, I have a little question. that's It's kind of I know you, I didn't plan this, but it's OK. You talked about. So the <laughs> what really got me, you talked about buying these uh, these knives for five dollars and then selling them for 20. So you're you're going back and forth between your mom and your dad. So you're obviously I think what you said is they're kind of different parts of town, right? So yeah. you, could get, you could get the knives in one part of town for $5 when you're selling them for 20 It's not a common thing. Okay, so that's um, obviously supply and demand. You were so young to understand this, it, and it seems like a higher level of thinking to understand supply and demand as a teenager. I don't, I'm sure I understood that in some respect, but I, didn't, I wasn't like, okay, so your story is kind of similar to like Gary V. He was flipping stuff when he was young and a bunch of other people that we've probably both heard about. I never did any of that stuff. At least I don't think I don't remember. So, like, how did you how did you understand supply and demand, or was it just you just I don't know? Tell me, tell me your thoughts there.
0: I mean, you know, as, as a kid, right? You just like uh, when, for example, let's just say you do a chore and you get paid to do the chore and you get money, right? And money gets you, you know, you're able to use that money to go buy. I don't know. At that age, I was probably buying Yu-Gi-Oh cards or something uh, or Pokemon cards, and yeah, so, same. I was, you know, able to go and buy these things that I wanted. And I think at the time it was like, oh man, I'm I'm making quick bucks here and there. And so I think the motivation was just to make the money to go, to go buy what I wanted. You know, I would spend the money fast. I mean, I wasn't definitely, I didn't understand the investing part yet, but, uh, you were saving
1: like Dave Ramsey would tell you.
0: No, I wasn't <laughs> saving, but I did, I did understand, you know, buying something for five bucks and selling it for 20. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good to go.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm sure it's that. Just that first time, you're like, okay, I bought this for five, and I just sold it for twenty. Which, again, you know, back in when we were kids, fifteen dollars profit. I mean, that's huge. So that's like, oh wow, I can buy this for five dollars and resell it for twenty, which is the same thing. Like when we're flipping houses, like for instance, that grapevine house, we bought it for two something. We put like thirty into it, and then we sold it for three something. It's like, hmm. And obviously, like it's just a rinse and repeat thing when you kind of understand. Wow, there's profit to be made here, and I can keep doing this? This is crazy. So as a kid, what did you what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: I actually wanted to be an architect. That was before I found out how much math was involved um, in being an architect. And then I started to kind of change my mind because I wasn't that great at math. So I used to struggle with it. I think throughout college, I was you know, barely getting by with the C. And I would avoid all the hard math classes if I could. So I wasn't taking calculus and all that stuff. There was ways for me to go around it i did and i actually had to take remedial math in my first year of college um <laughs> so they make you go to like a lab <laughs> yeah no, know and they make you go to like a lab so it's an extra like three hours or something or it, it counts for an extra credit um but yeah and then i started you know once i actually got into real estate i kind of stopped telling myself that i sucked at math and um after analyzing You know several deals i kind of naturally started getting better better at it now i can't do calculus still but i don't need calculus i've I've never never needed calculus i'm sure there's you know fields of work that you would need it but not for me
1: yeah i i was laughing earlier because man you know our wife joked about when when, uh when you and seller were first getting married uh, they joked about how similar we were and how, like you know, we were like the same person in high school. I'm, I'm I was actually really good at math until I had to get into geometry, which I was just telling someone the other day that I think my geometry teacher only passed me because I talked too much and she didn't want to have mm-hmm. me again because in that school system, if you failed a class, you went back into that same teacher's class. So she she liked me. She just didn't want to have me again. So she passed me. So I've actually. But then when you get into the higher levels of math, like what you're saying, I'm not, I'm not good at. I'm good with simple math. You know, Keith has joked about how fast I used to be at math. I'm not as fast anymore.
0: But uh, That's the old age.
1: I know. Whew, I'm like, what, 29 now or is it 36? 29, 29 times two. Time. It's 29 <laughs> for the seventh time. Come on, man. Okay, well, that's cool. So architect. I, mm-hmm. I didn't, I did not know that about you. A couple of things I did not know about you that I'm learning. So this is cool. This is good. Yeah. It's going to be a good episode. You may, you may, you may learn some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I actually want to be an astronaut and then I want to be a cop and all these other things, probably like most kids growing up who, I don't know. So obviously you talked about your parents being split up, but did they encourage you to be whatever you wanted to be? Obviously it's two different households. So kind of two different parenting systems, but, um, did they encourage you to be whatever you wanted to be or
0: what, what was that like? They did encourage me to be whatever I wanted to be. And one of the requirements, like I'm sure many kids, was that I had to go to college. And, you know, a lot of that is based on the fact that they probably didn't go to college is my guess. So naturally, I went to college. Um, I got an arts degree with a low ROI. And I ended up not even using it, actually. So because when I got my degree. GPA? No, no, no. Well, actually... You said uh, ROI. In college, yes, because the degree itself that is doesn't have an, a high ROI.
1: Oh, okay. So you probably see my degree up here. It's it's amazing. You know, it, your, it's making me degree? all the bucks. That is a uh, a bachelor's in inter, interdisciplinary studies with a focus in communication and management, which has served me. It's a
0: it's a that's a long fancy I word for <laughs> low ROI.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but i have the same type of
0: degree it's, it's an true. interdisciplinary degree there are certain degrees that you know if you break it down on on a return on investment because you're investing in yourself you're spending all this money and the fancier schools you go to obviously you spend more um it just doesn't translate you know so but but for me i ended up uh, like i mentioned earlier i was in ROTC in college and so i, I commissioned as a uh, intel um, intelligence army officer and i stayed in, on the reserve side And so I kind of used the experience of kind of seek a like management type position. I did join the army at 18. uh, And then while I was in the army, learned a lot of good stuff. It was a great experience. And then translated a lot of those skills to the outside world. And I ended up being in logistics, so logistics management. And right after I graduated with my undergrad, I didn't get my first like, I guess, career, quote unquote, career job until maybe four to five months. After I graduated and I spent those first four to five months working as a uh, mechanic at Firestone, 12 bucks an hour. And I hated it. I was desperate for anything to get out of being a mechanic. Now, I love, being, I love working on my own cars, but working on other people's cars is terrible. And I just didn't enjoy it. You're out sweaty, hot, just embracing the suck. So,
1: so we often ask guests about their financial climate uh, in their home growing up. So what was yours like? Did y'all talk about money? Was it taboo? what was going on
0: there? It did look a little bit different because I had the two, the two households. And, um, I don't necessarily remember like, i just being blunt about how much money they made or anything like that, but they did, they did try their best to, you know, provide and, and give me the, you know, provide the, the needs and then as much of the wants, uh, as possible. And then my mom ended up marrying and I, you know, my stepdad that and uh, at the time there, you know, it was a good provider, but, you know, early on their funds were tight and their their financial decisions weren't always the best. And so kind of the, you know, like like I said earlier, the typical middle class lifestyle starting and then they they grew from there. But I had moved on. Or I had moved with my dad uh, in my er- earlier teens anyhow. So it was a little bit different there. But but to answer your question, you know, money wasn't just openly talked about, um, you know, like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And your audio cut out for a second. So everyone listening, forgive us. We had some issues with the the, the format that we normally use. So we're actually having to use Skype. So if it's uh, a little jumbled, that's why. But to go back to something you said that I think is important. Uh, I think this is when you said you were living with your mom and your stepdad. Is that what you said?
0: Uh, yeah, I lived with them up until I was about 14.
1: Okay. And you said that y'all didn't have a lot of money, but your mom still was able to give you the things that you were wanting. Is that what you said? It cut out there.
0: Yeah. That, yeah. That was, uh, especially early on in my early childhood. remember, uh, when I, when I was discussing her profession of work at the time, um, sure. that was, that was when that was really like, you know, she was really getting me everything I wanted. And then as I, as we got older and then, uh, they had more stable type jobs, regular type jobs, uh, that's whenever things got a little bit tight and, uh, they were providing, the needs, but not all the wants, um all the time, but you know they did what they could with with everything they had, so
1: yeah, yeah, that's I mean again, similar stories, me and you my 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 mom, like I've talked about before, she worked her butt off um, providing, and uh, I had a lot of wants, and I think sometimes she caved because I am probably way too persistent, but at the same time i didn't I didn't realize how poor we were. we were not middle class. At, at all we were probably in the poverty line but somehow she made it not ever seem that way so well cool so um most people don't know this about you maybe they do maybe they picked up from it but for those of us who know you you're a doer you set goals and you achieve them unlike probably anyone i've seen your age which is why when i'm talking about real estate i always use your story for one because i don't have to talk about myself and i just <laughs> being arrogant but, two, I really like your story. Have you always been that way, setting goals, or what life experiences do you think have shaped you into the man that you are today? Yeah, so I, I have always
0: been that way. Um I am a pretty competitive individual, and at times, I may not like be boisterous about it, but internally, like I want to win. As far as the do like the doer, i I can't really sit still. Like I have to be doing something. You can ask my wife like, if if I'm sitting at the table, I'm, like, making beats on the table or, like, fiddling Same. with my fingers. Like, I can't sit still. So I have to do something to just feel productive. And that could be a good or a bad thing. But that's just kind of who I am. And then as far as, uh, you know, like I said, I, I'm a pretty competitive individual. And as I progressed in life and I started accomplishing different goals here and there, like, the first goal... Uh, I think the first big goal that I that I think I set for myself was was whenever I said I was going to commission or commission as an officer. And I remember being in high school. So I was in high school and I think junior year, I didn't do anything in high school. I didn't do sports. Um, I did. I did boxing the first couple of years, but outside of of school. And so I was in P.E. uh, in, I think, 11th grade or something. And I used to just sit there and watch everybody. I didn't do anything. And they were like, I don't remember if it was a teacher, but they're like, you need to go, uh, you need to be doing something. I'm like, well, I don't want to do anything. And like, well, you could always switch to this class or RTC. So I was that kid in high school that was an RTC. And when I first, my senior year, uh, half end of junior year into senior year, I didn't really take it seriously. Um, And then I had a lieutenant colonel that was retired that was the teacher. Uh, He was... uh, you know he was pretty influential as far as the military side because he really uh, pushed me to go towards being an officer. And then I had this first sergeant that was there, and I remember him telling me one time, "You're never going to be an officer." And I was like, "Oh, okay." So in my mind, I was like, "No worries." And then he was my first salute. I made him come to my ceremony. <laughs> and he gave me my first salute. So that that was like That's the great. biggest. Yeah, that was like the first goal that I ever, like, big goal that I set and accomplished. And then, uh, after that, the goals just started getting bigger and bigger, and I think it just—it never occurred to me that I couldn't do it. You know, it's kind of like the whole, um, you know, how big would you dream if you knew you couldn't fail? And yes. that's just kind of how I live my life, I guess. You know, um, so yeah.
1: That's so funny. When I when I signed up to go to boot camp, for those who've seen me, I'm 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 one sixty five now, but back in two 2005 i was maybe 125 soaking wet and uh swole everyone yeah i was so swole and no one thought i would make it in boot camp my own mom was like are you sure you want to go that's gonna be really hard like can you do it and i in my mind i was like okay if these people think i can't do it i'm gonna go do it dang it and so uh that's kind of funny that you're you're kind of forgive my french your kind of f you thing was hey come give me my first salute guy who thought i wasn't gonna make it yeah I mean, so, we have a good,
0: we had a good relationship, you know. But I, I don't know if he was serious or if he was just using it to, to, to pressure me, you know. Probably, probably to motivate yeah. you. Yeah, it. but it, it, it worked. I mean, I, you know, in a sense, it, you know, pissed me off, and I, I used it as fuel, uh, and I made it happen. So that was, like I said, the first big goal that I, I achieved.
1: Yeah. That's cool. Because another thing that and maybe I'm going to beat this uh, to dead horse, whatever the thing is, but Am I think I why? Right? I, nope, it's not Ed. Okay. Even though you see him right here, Max Out is right behind uh, me. Uh, you and I are very similar. I think this is why we, we click so well, because you, you said something that you set goals that you don't think that you can fail at or however you worded it. When you said that, I, I, I like had like a little flash in my mind. like In the past five or six years that I've been doing real estate, I've never really looked at anything like, oh man, I'm going to fail at this or I could fail at it. It's like, okay, how can I do it and how can I win? Uh, and I think it, that's a, a very important mindset for anyone who wants to be a business owner or to be in real estate or whatever it is that you're doing to have that mindset that – and not to say you can't fail. There are going to be times, of course, where you're going to fail, but to have the sure. mindset, well, I'm not going to fail. I can't fail. I'm just going to be – I'm going to be it, good at whatever I do.
0: It limits the amount of times that you do end up failing because you end up finding other ways to to accomplish the mission.
1: Exactly. And like my famous quote – it's only a failure when you don't learn something from it, you know. So, if you can if you can fail in a good way and learn, then it was just a learning experience and it was free education. Well, cool, man. Well, so I know you like to sleep late. Um, you don't wake up as early as I do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I actually have been waking up later. What's your morning routine like, and why do you feel it's necessary to have a morning routine? I think this could this could help people because, as we've talked about on every episode. A lot of the successful people have a routine that they kind of follow and I think it helps them be successful. So what's yours like?
0: Yes. So I I wake up every morning between 445 and 505. Uh, It just depends how I feel. Uh, I wash up, I read my Bible or do a devotional and then I practice German. It's just a, uh, I I just, I've been to the country. I like it. uh, So I just started picking it up and I'm on Right now, I'm not. I'm not like super serious with it. Um, oh, I'm seri- I do Duolingo, which is an app that helps you learn it. Yep. Have I'm on one. a I'm on a 275 day streak. So, uh, is nice. that pretty consistent? I- yep, definitely. And then I listen to a book, and then I head to the gym, and I've been doing that same routine for the past like um, almost two years now straight, not missing. It, it like I like I mentioned in a couple podcasts ago. Uh, It doesn't matter if it's my birthday, doesn't matter what holiday it is, I'm going to be at the gym, I'm going to be, you know, following my routine. And I'm a strong believer in routines, and I'll explain exactly why. I've always been good at them, and then once I got into the Army, I got even better, because obviously in the military, you follow lots of routines, and you follow them to a T. And I think you know, if you're a naturally unorganized person, um, I think that a routine will get you out of your comfort zone and essentially I think catapult you into kind of the life you want. And what you're doing subconsciously is you're building discipline and it's small steps, right? So like you may not realize that waking up at five thirty, which you're not used to every single day, it's like, Oh man, why would I wake up at five thirty every single day? But like what you're doing is subconsciously building up discipline and doing the same every single day task or the same task every single day because motivation only lasts but a week, unless you know, being honest, motivation doesn't last long. It's the discipline that pulls you through. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you really want to progress in life, I think establishing a routine, even if it's not, if it's not comfortable for you, you need to get out of your comfort zone and you know, that will build that discipline and that naturally translates to other things in life. So you, if you're wanting to close, You know, million dollar deals. Well, if you don't have a routine in place, you know, how are you going to build the discipline of things that you need to do to be able to to tackle these deals? Because sometimes these deals, they're hard, man. Sometimes they they knock you down. You're like, man, I just want, should I throw the towel in or whatever? But, you know, I think the routine, as simple as it sounds, has really helped me in my uh, entrepreneur career.
1: And routine just, it kind of builds uh, muscle memory. You know, you're teaching your body to, to push through the uh the feelings of being lazy or the feelings of uh not being motivated cuz like you said motivation only lasts so long and it and it builds that muscle memory in your not only your body but your mind to you know keep checking off those goals of you know whatever it is that you you're trying to achieve whether it's you know you want to have a 5 million dollar net worth by you know 2024 or whatever and you've got these steps and you're just constantly doing these things as a routine, which is sometimes boring, but it's these small steps that get you to where you're going. And I think a lot of people don't realize that it's just sometimes, sometimes real estate or business is not sexy. Like, you know, I, you, you don't, you don't make a gazillion dollars overnight. It's small, consistent steps that eventually get you to where you want to be. Right. Like,
0: go ahead. Yeah. And that goes kind of to like, it it aligns with you know using it as a vehicle to, to get where you want to be so so many people are so like they're so caught up in on it needs to be my passion it needs to be my passion and in reality it's just a vehicle to get you to to get you to the life that you want to live and then you can use all that free time that you're getting back and go do your passions you know if you want to if you want to paint you can go paint and if maybe you're not that great but you go do it as your passion and you use real estate or whatever the stock stock market as the vehicle to get you there to be able to do so. So
1: very true. You talk a lot about systems and processes
0: on the podcast
1: and then with me. Um, so what does that look like for you, and why is it so important to what you do?
0: Yes. Yeah, so systems and processes are, I think, extremely important in business. You know, I think if you don't have systems and processes in place, that you're, you know, you're not going to scale that quickly or grow that quickly, and it may just you know, it may end up as a a rude awakening if if you don't do it early on. And then you find yourself, you start getting employees, you start hiring employees, and you start actually growing like a large business. And then you're like, Oh, man, what do I do now? And it's kind of a little late at that point. So and in these, these uh, systems and processes look a little bit different for each business. So, you know, I'll talk about for self storage, for example, these systems and processes translate to efficiency and then the efficiency translates to revenue so you know for example i with with the portfolio that i have it's just under under 600 total units and and, and in between that you have self storage uh flex space office and one retail i also have a a vacant car wash in there and, and lube station and so i run these these operations i have i have not just self-storage tenants but i have some national tenants that i have in a couple of my spaces, uh, the retail, uh, little retail shop that I have. And so I manage all these different things and I spend maybe at this right now 15 to 20 hours a week managing everything including my accounting and and tracking KPIs which are key performance indicators. And so you know at this stage of, of my building and you know until I replace myself fully because if I replace myself now I will have nothing to do. Um, So I think, you know, I'm going to get there and it's going to be very soon. But for right now, I like to just uh, I like to keep a a close watch on everything. Um, I track everything. uh, Just keep a a pulse on on the business, essentially. And the rest of my week, I kind of spend networking Uh, here lately. It definitely heavy on the networking. Uh, I'm in a mastermind or going to masterminds meeting people just kind of connecting and and then education I do here lately I've been knocking out a lot I just finished the book that we're that we're uh gonna do a podcast on so you know maybe a book or two a week right now at this rate and um and then just looking at future opportunities you know practicing my underwriting skills analyzing uh you know risk and whatnot so
1: Awesome. Well, I think that's cool for, for you to break it down because a lot of times you talk about systems and processes, and I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, what does it look like for you? Because for me, <laughs> it's a little different. You know, I'm yeah, I'm semi-retired, as you say. So because yeah, uh, yeah. I'm so old.
0: <laughs> I mean, just just having you know, you like for example, I know you have your whiteboard up, and that's that's a uh, where you can write down your systems and pr- like you know, for example, knowing exactly how much uh my uh opex is which is operating expenses uh for my business I, I look at that pretty constantly i look at my profit and loss statements balance sheets all that kind of stuff uh just finance heavy type stuff and i'm just looking at that you know uh having a, a written down task list for your partners and managers or different systems like there's a lot of technology out there especially coming Uh, online for the self storage space and so you know that's 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 a system in itself you know you may not realize it but like having a call center having a a texting software that's automated having um, you know the storage the storage software or PMS you know all those things are considered systems and processes and that's helping you run your, your business efficiently and the more efficient you can make your business the more you can take yourself out of and almost run it without you being there, um, in, in a sense. And then once you're able to p- run one business efficiently, you know, because they always talk about, and I'm, I'll get into this a little bit later, but millionaires and and whatnot have multiple streams of income. And I think a lot of people they get caught up in trying to build them all at once, and they don't have the systems and processes in place on the first one, and so you can't. Yeah. you're, you're going to be spinning in circles trying to build all these all these streams of income focus on the one first and build build up the systems processes and you know and then you're able to smoothly transition to the next stream
1: yep yeah Jamal Miller just talked about that on his uh, story the other day about how you got to focus on on the one thing you build that one thing you do it really well and then uh, I don't know if he went into this but essentially you would then automate that thing and then move to the next thing like when we were doing Airbnb together, and you still do Airbnb, and I'm about to get back into it here in Tennessee. But we had everything so automated that I worked maybe maybe one to two hours a week on five properties total. So, like, you know, we had our uh, messaging automated, we had the pricing automated, our cleaning system yep. was automated, everything was automated. The only time I ever had to respond to guests were random questions that the system just couldn't answer itself or yeah, any exactly. various handyman tasks, you know, which was few and far right. between because these properties were either. Two of them were apartments, so the apartment company or the apartment complex would take care of them. But then the other three that my wife and I had were newly remodeled houses, so there wasn't much maintenance required to them.
0: That systems right there. I mean, uh, you know, they're techn technological systems. Uh, turnover B and B. It's a it's a system that's part of your business. Um, Slack or whatever communication you use to talk to the cleaners if you need it. You know, uh, uh, hospital. Hospital. Yeah, that's what it's called. Which hospital?
1: Yeah, they used yeah. to be. Uh, I forget the name. Smart B and B. So if you're listening, Eli, I've told you about this many times, sir. Dang it! You Eli. need to automate your messaging and stop replying to every single guest. This is oh, a good friend of mine. I remember. I remember you telling uh-huh. me about that. Yeah.
0: He likes to reply to every guest. I'm like, bro, why?
1: Like, I get that you can like people, but
0: man, that's so just taking can, time away. And the thing is, like, whenever you do the automated messaging, kind of on a tangent, but you make it sound as personable as possible in the Mm -hmm. first the first message so it doesn't sound necessarily like like you're talking to a robot like people kind of mistake like they think it's actually me writing it because i sound so personable (laughs) in my message and then they ask me a question and that's whenever it's like oh snap you know i need to go back and you know they're not talking to the robot it's me you know so yeah you got to just make it sound personable and automate at the same time
1: yeah, you can automate your messaging to where it does not seem like it is a robot, like you were saying. I If you go look on my Airbnb reviews, which I think I have close to 300, a lot of them were like, oh, he communicated so well. He was so great at communicating, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, bro, yeah. I hardly ever messaged you.
0: This was my system. Yeah. it saved me so much time. I have 100% response rate. Because, yep, same here. <laughs> because of the fact that I have automated messaging. And that just that helps your, your SEO or algorithm. It used to anyway. I don't know if it still does.
1: And it helps keep your wife happy because you're paying attention to her and not on your phone. Yeah. (laughs) So, anywho, so how did you get into real estate and business? Um, I like, I already know the answer to this question, but I like, at least me, knowing where you were when we first met at the Abrahams house. And knowing what you owned then and now knowing what you own now is pretty incredible. So, tell us about it.
0: Yeah, so... Um, I purchased my first house in 2017. I closed on it actually May May 2017. And at that time, I didn't have like entrepreneurship on my mind. Actually, I had a friend that I work with and her and her husband had just bought a house. And so she was telling me about the process, obviously really excited because I got their first house and it kind of like sparked the interest in me. And I was like, hmm, I wonder, you know, uh, I've been in the military. I look, started looking at my benefits and I'm like, I've been in long enough to get a VA loan. So I started looking into it and I think about 2 months later I I closed on the house. I I didn't think twice about it. I was just like I can do that and then I just went ahead and did it and uh that's kind of how I am but uh you know so I used the VA home loan and I it's zero down for those that don't know zero down home loan and you just pay the closing costs. So at at the time I think it was like 1400 bucks that I brought to closing and for my closing costs And about six months in, I started renting a room out to a friend and I still don't have, I didn't have real estate on my mind at that time either. I was just like, Hey, cool. Um, this guy's paying half my mortgage, you know, good friend from church and Brandon Turner obviously coined the term house hacking, which is a a pretty good way to get started into real estate. Mm -hmm. And so I, about a year after a full year of owning it, I decided to rent it out completely. And I bought another house in another county using my same VA loan entitlements. You could, for those that don't know, because I've heard I've had people tell me you can't do that, realtors, and it's under the same entitlement. So if you use, you know, I think in Texas at the time it was like four hundred eighty thousand dollars, and if you're you can use them both simultaneously, if it's been after a year for the first purchase, and it's and it's a certain distance away, you may need to check the full detail because I don't remember. Um, so same thing. I brought my roommate with me and he ended up paying like half the mortgage at the time. And then, uh, maybe about a year after I ended up getting married. And so he, obviously he didn't live with us after that. He had to go. He had to go. I was sad, but he had to go. And, uh, that's whenever, you know, we met and then I knew what you were doing. You know, you're, you're a part of the wholesale company there for a bit. And, you know, you brought that, that first, uh, that slim, slim deal. Slim Pickens, bro. Uh, yeah, it was slim, <laughs> slim. And, and you're like, hey, let's just go half. And I was like, okay. And, you know, at the time, I didn't really know what to think about it. I was just like, he just wants to, maybe, maybe he just wants to share the risk. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. I didn't, I didn't know exactly, but that's what know, it was. Yeah. He, wanted he was to split. so slim. I was like, let's put the risk, <laughs> let's spread this bad boy. So, uh, we ended up going, uh, 50 50 on it. And I think we just made 5K each on it. And it was, it was like uh, thirty
1: five hundred each. It was so slow. It was,
0: yeah, it was it was cheap, cheap. So from that point on, um, after that, I I flipped the next two by myself, um, and this was going into that was summer summer twenty nineteen. That first one we did, and then I bought the next two over the next couple months. I used private money for the down payment, so I didn't have anything out of pocket, besides rehab, which I was using my business credit cards at the time to uh, to put to cover the tab. Oh, Dave Ramsey just cringed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's okay. So so what I ended up doing was uh, I was still working at W-2 at the time. And now we're approaching um, February of, of 2020. And I ended up closing those two houses the same week that I actually got fired from my W-2. Now. Baller. Yeah, it was great because I made the same salary um, from those two flips as I did for my W two, or the same amount.
1: Yeah, in like three months.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, and so that was kind of like, like, man, this is great. Like, this is, I think I can, you know, I can keep, I can keep doing this, and this is what I want. And so, I was also, uh, you know, at that point around February, January, February, I knew that I had wanted to quit, and I was like, I know I want to quit. And I was just, it was a little bit nerve wracking because if you've been in a W2 for the last, you know, I've been working since I was 14. And so you've been working for an employee as an employee for the last 10 years, uh, a little longer than that. But it, it's a little nerve wracking to just be like, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go do this entrepreneur thing by myself. And, you know, in, in a sense, actually, I remember when I got, when I did get fired, uh, first of all, you know, not that it matters, but they didn't the reason was they didn't give me a reason a real reason and maybe it was because i was spending time doing my entrepreneur stuff on my lunch breaks and wanting to finish uh work as soon as i could to go focus on my business but i remember sitting in the car and i was just like you know i was shocked because i'd never been fired before and i remember lord the lord was like isn't this what you wanted you know like this is what you wanted you know and so and then I was also a little bit salty. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna come back and buy this company. Um, so <laughs> I was uh, I was, uh, I was had I had mixed emotions, but I was I was excited. And you know, fast forward then from that point forward, um, we did a couple flips back back on again. Uh, I may have done another another one or two by myself again, and I was starting to get it going. We had the Airbnb's launched, so that was bringing in some cash flow.
1: Which was your idea? So that was awesome. Yeah.
0: The arbitrage thing. That was that was cool. But um so and then what I and what I usually do after after things are going for a little while, I uh sit back and analyze like, all right, where 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 are my goals and how do I get there faster? And that's whenever commercial came into the picture. I dived in. First it was multifamily, but I started diving in and uh stumbled across self storage, you know learned everything I could for the first six or seven months. And, you know, for, for a long time, I just felt like I wasn't like being, working at W2 wasn't natural. It didn't feel natural. Like I didn't, I wasn't like, man, I love this. This, this is where I want to be. Like, this is right. my dream job. I, it was never like that. And I wasn't really content until I started building my own thing. And, you know, I was starting to finally utilize my skills of like, like you know, finding value add deals. Um, operating efficiently implementing systems and processes recognizing and controlling risk uh you know being able to to two to three x times the value and uh just it, i started feeling you know it was almost like i was at home I, I felt like this is where i belonged and then so i've been able to grow that to about 110,000 square feet of uh commercial real estate mainly um retaining 100 percent equity and uh, staying at about a 50% global loan to value and asset classes consisting of mainly storage, but some flex space, some office and some retail. So,
1: man, I love your story. Like I say, I, I talk about it a lot because it's just uh, I had the uh, fortunate position to be, uh, I feel like a pretty close friend. So I got to see it kind of all unravel. You know, like I was saying in the beginning, we met one night at the uh, mutual friend's house. We were playing cornhole. And uh, Keith had told me that you had a real property. He's like, "Oh, y'all probably y'all probably mesh because you know you're both in real estate." And I was like, yeah. "Okay." And so, uh, yeah, then we just did. And then, you know, obviously, like I said earlier, we later found out that we're almost identical because of all the the tattoos and all the all the things that uh, probably why we on. it's probably why we argue too. That is true. <laughs> as much as we get along, we clash a lot. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. I love your story, man. It's just—it's just really cool to see to see where you've come from and uh, where you're at now. Uh, just only thing I have to work on with you, because you're young and stubborn, is to move to Tennessee.
0: Nah, we'll—we'll so we'll get you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A for effort. <laughs> I'm just
1: kidding. You're not stubborn, but you are young. I'm old. Uh, so, what advice do you have for new storage facility operators or something? Someone who's wanting to get started in commercial real estate.
0: Yeah, so I went ahead and I took the time to to, com- to compile six points for the for the new operators or new commercial investor or, uh, yeah, investors. All so, right, get out your notepad. Yeah, so number one, I, I think uh, educating yourself is the first thing. And I have harped on this so much, whether, like I said, it's books or podcasts or forums or whatever. I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without the education. Now, of course, the action uh, was needed, but the education was a key component. And I, I still, even to today, regardless of how successful I'll be, I will still spend time to educate myself, read, uh, and just build up the knowledge base. And, you know, I've said this before, but I believe that the self-education that I've, I've learned on my own, uh, is more, has been more valuable to me than my MBA from Texas A&M. And but I am thankful that it opened my eyes to the business world because, you know, I had no introduction to the business world until I did my MBA. And um, and the only reason I did my MBA was because the Army covered most of it. So after for undergrad and MBA, I I left with about fourteen thousand dollars that I owed um, with both degrees. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some some, most of a lot of that was Army. And then some of it came from my mom who had some financing lined up for me for, for college. I think also too, it's not until you start actually doing the thing that where you learn and you practice in real time is is that's when you build the expertise as well. So, you know, the knowledge first and then getting the practice, which is aka action. So yep. that's number one. Uh number two, I think you really need to understand your market or your sector. You know, at the beginning, learning the operations of your business is is super key. Like getting into the nitty the nitty-gritty of it, like Um, just keeping a pulse on your business so that you can focus on at some point, eventually switching over to your next stream of income. But for example, you know, I've been on the roofs of my storage buildings. I've installed lights. I've installed cameras. I've, uh, done, you know, clean outs, drilled out locks, uh, help customers on the ground. And the only, I did that for only a brief period just so I could truly understand my operations, uh, and how they worked. And now my operations um, on a, my stabilized facility is about twenty five percent. Truly understand your business, develop a strategy that works for your investing principles and your desired cash flow, and then really getting a strategy down. So, for example, in self storage, a strategy could be buying in a secondary and tertiary market where you're not competing with the REITs, which is the big guys, public storage, extra space, those guys. You know where there's, there's a slimmer chance of, of new inventory coming on in your market. And they those REITs couldn't justify new development because they can't afford it. So, you know, stuff like that. And then from then on, you can decide what CapEx capital expenditures uh, you want to spend on your facility so you can be the price leader and, you know, capture the quality tenant. So that's a strategy in itself. So really just boiling down what kind of strategy you're, you're wanting to focus on and you know pick even you could even pick three strategies you know maybe you have one strategy that's transactional within the same space one strategy that's transactional like getting large pieces of income so when we were flipping houses that was one uh one bucket you have your second bucket which is like your rental properties and that's like the slower wealth game but uh it's it's uh building up you're still getting some cash flow but you're also getting the tax breaks and stuff like that so that's another bucket right So, you know, kind of breaking it down into buckets like that helps you really understand, um, you know, how you're structuring your business and stuff like that. So another number three, I would say stay in tune with macro and micro economics, which, you know, I I actually really like economics. Um, I don't know. I think once I got into commercial real estate, it just started to become more fascinating to me. And actually, as some of you may know. The Fed increased another 75 basis points uh, I yesterday. I saw that. Awesome. Yep. yep. So after that, the stock the stock market proceeded to drop 500 plus. Uh, after it rise 300 due to the press release where the Fed was saying that they were going to kind of take a halt on raising rates, but then they came back and were like, "Actually, that's not what we're going to do. What we're going to do." And so I think by the first quarter of 23, you're going to see low 5. percent um, on the FedRate. And so why is this important? You know, I talk about economic stuff quite often, but you know, rate, CPI and uh, the Treasury notes directly affects your investing, right? So if you look at the 10 year, the 10 year bill, it closely follows commercial lending. So if you're, if you are, you know, trying to build a commercial real estate profile and, you know, being able to look at these different things and, and analyze the risk that you're taking when you're buying property. Um, It just helps you to, you know, assure your investments can respond positively and then being able to achieve superior performance in a down market. Um, As I said earlier, focusing on one stream of income at a time, you know, and then you can focus on building the other. So for me, that was buying, that was focusing, I switched over from flipping houses, Airbnb, uh, rentals to building or to building a buy and hold commercial portfolio and, you know, being able to stabilize those and being able to produce enough cash flow to where it, it's basically that's why, you know, it's my full time, full time job. Uh, not, well, not job, but career. Then you're able to when you're building those, you're able to uh, leverage and collateralize those assets and able to, you know, purchase more and use your experience to, to build it bigger and bigger. And then you start looking at like maybe I should trim the fat, right? Maybe I should stop buying the heavy value add, the heavy management type properties. And now I focus on Class B type properties, maybe some class A. Something that's, you know, a little more stable, uh, but you have way higher, higher quality tenants. It's less management intensive. So you know you switch up your strategy a little bit, but something that gets your foot in the door to begin with. Um, I talked about this before, but you know having multiple exit strategies is very important. And having like a detailed business plan. So one thing about me Uh, I'm very detailed. Um, whenever I took over my first facility, I had a whole binder. Remember I was, you know, remember that binder,
1: bro. It's so funny because your binder was huge. And like, when I got ready to buy mine, I had like one piece of paper on my computer and I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to fail. Christian's got (laughs) this binder and I've got one word document.
0: Yeah. I mean, so I like being super detailed and whenever you start getting to a point where you're, you're raising capital or something, you're going to need to be extremely detailed you know, if you're going to ask for five, $10 million, $20 million, $50 million, those guys are not going to just hand over the money to you without a detailed business plan. You know, this is why we like the market. This is our projection, three-year projection. Um, they need the details. So to be detailed in your underwriting when you're analyzing risks, it's, it's extremely key. So keep that in mind. Um. And then, you know, another thing right now, we've been in a bull market, right? So people are buying stuff willy nilly. I think I think risk is kind of being thrown out the window. And, you know, in in bull markets, the common philosophy is risk is my friend. Right. And when people aren't afraid of risk, they'll accept it without being compensated for it. So I think if you're sitting down, you know, obviously risk exists in the space. And you have to be okay with that. And risk is different for everybody. Risk is subjective for you. Risk is a little different than it is for me versus someone who's in their sixties and wants to retire already. Mm -hmm. So, but you need to learn how to manage it and you need to make sure that you're stress testing your, uh, investments. Like, can you operate at a 15 to 20% margin or that margin of error? Is it there? Are you able to meet debt service, stuff like that? Um, What's your global uh, loan to value? What's your what's your global DSCR? Stuff like that is important as you're starting to build and buy and buy commercial real estate. So uh, another one I have is it's always a good time to buy. You know, back to n- number four, just make sure you're being compensated for the risk you're taking. You know, even in a down market when things are a little little you know worrisome, there's still opportunity out there. You just need to make sure you're buying right. Um, I think yeah, yeah, I mean awareness of price and the intrinsic value, I think, is the essential component, in like, in being able to to make a smart investment. Like I, I've mentioned before, like I'm able to to break even at 50% occupancy on my storages because I'm able I buy super cheap, and um, the guys that are Too buying, cheap. yeah, <laughs> the guys that are buying at an extra premium and they can't meet debt service at 75% occupancy is very concerning. So. You know, make sure you establish acquisition your acquisition criteria that that you know meets your debt obligations, regardless of whatever market bull or bear, and you're just, you know, being smart about it. And then also here, you're here lately, you know, making sure you have enough what they call dry powder, uh, extra capital, to be able to survive to these like kind of short term fluctuations that are going on. Um, and then also too, I'll, and I'll talk about it here in a little bit, but having enough extra capital to get ready for the opportunities that are, that are to come because right now, for example, what you're seeing is that the, uh, uh, interest rates to borrow are, you know, 7%, right? So you have these, these property owners who think that they're still in 2021 and they're getting, you know, they're wanting a four cap for their property. And with debt that's at 7%, it just makes no sense. You know, no one's cash flowing mm. at that. Yeah, for real. So like, now things are kind of in a standstill until these sellers kind of wake up and realize that the cap rates are decompressing, uh, basically getting cheaper or like things are not as expensive as they used to be. Then, you know, I think we're, we're going to stay in the standstill for a little bit and then come 2023, I think there'll be some great opportunities out there, but if you don't have the capital and you're not prepared, then, you know, this transfer of wealth, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to capitalize on it. And yeah so, I, and,
1: and I think ahead. what's important that you you kind of briefly touched on but if if you follow Christian on Instagram I think you shared this today or yesterday but and you said something to the factor you shared that anyone can win in a bull market pretty much everyone wins almost everyone wins in a bull market but it's really like what what can you do in a bear market so when when the economy wakes up to the fact that we are indeed in a recession maybe Q1 next year the real winners are going to be the people who are prepared and who have the cash on hand like you said to snatch up those deals. Exactly. So that, that's going to really test who's really winning and who appears to be winning right now.
0: And if you know, it's going to test the guys that, like I said, paid premium for their property, uh, especially, and, and I'll get into some, some quick advice for, you know, navigating this, this, uh, environment, but you know, the guys that are, that have bridge loans and short-term loans on like these huge 40, $50 million, uh, multifamily, uh, apartment complexes, you know, the note's going to be due. And like, if you, if you can't refinance, you know, from that bridge loan, because whether the debt service is not meeting or whatever, that's a scary position to be in. So if you're, if you have short-term debt, you know, the, the, the advice is to get into long-term debt, you know, as quick as you can, you know, like hard money loans, nine month loans, six to nine month or whatever they are. Um, you know, your 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 goal was to refinance and then lenders start kind of being a little more cautious about who they're lending to and you can't get qualified for a, a loan or you get a rate that's 9% and it doesn't meet the debt service obligations, they're not gonna, you're either gonna bring money out of pocket or they're not, you know, you're gonna have a, a hard time finding a lender. So, you know, that and then take caution with like heavy value adds right at this point. So unless you have a ton of capital to, to survive it, Kind of focus on uh, properties that cash flow from day one. Uh, Selling consider selling properties that don't fit your investment model or your company model. Uh, Start accumulating cash so you know to to one sustain current operations and then two for the opportunities that are to come whenever the cap rates start decompressing. Uh, the last one I have is if you rely on transaction cash flow, so this may be. If you're a broker or a wholesaler, you know, maybe start looking at some other streams of income like coaching or consulting to add to your core business. Because, you know, especially for the realtors, I think I saw a statistic actually from Houston based realtors that uh, I think it was a very high number. I think 60 percent didn't use their uh, their license or didn't pay for their 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 uh, their license
1: to be renewed. Uh,
0: uh yeah the yearly whatever yearly fees you guys have oh yeah we have
1: uh a- annual fees uh quarterly fees board dues things like that
0: right and uh yeah i was trying that to means find they're the, bailing that means they're out yeah no definitely so that that's a pretty concerning uh statistic there so i think you know the realtors that just came in like in 20 and 21 they're like oh man i'm gonna capitalize on this bull market everyone's <laughs> yeah. making money uh, they're gonna yeah, have a hard time. That's naive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're gonna have a hard time here here pretty soon. So, uh, anyways, that that's my uh, my little spiel there.
1: Awesome, that's great advice for anyone who's listening. If you missed any of that, you should go back because Christian is uh, very successful, and the things that he just spit at you, you need to write down. So, Christian, in your opinion, what is the most important personality trait or strength that someone would need to be successful in real estate? or to be a business owner?
0: Well, I believe that, um, you first, you need to have, uh, faith, tenacity, I'd say flexibility and oh, self-confidence and then creativity. So I have, I have, uh, quite a few, and I think that those pretty much cover like Everything you need in this business. So, this, first of all, this business is not for the fan of heart. Um, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> you know, uh, there's been like, so I've had some hard deals before with, you know, $15,000 EM hard already, which is earnest money. And it didn't look like, you know, the closing didn't look too promising. And, you know, I mean, seller saw it like every day, like was just like, the Amarillo. Yeah. And, you know, wasted time from from miscommunication from bank seller and i was like i mean i i I may end up losing the 15k like i it was it was tough and so these you know these trades, you know i would pray and just just pray through it and, but these traits really got me through uh and then i ended up closing which was it was a great day but um there's gonna be so many things in this in this space that just you don't expect you don't uh you you can't guesstimate. You can't you can't mm-hmm. expect you know stuff to to go your way. It's not going to go your way. So, yeah, I would say those few things.
1: Yeah, that's good. And I think creativity. This is the one I like the most because I talked about this on an episode one or two ago. You know, when I left the Marine Corps, when I was at Christ for the Nations, I got into video uh, editing and uh, photography, and I thought that because I could take good pictures, that I was like creative. And I did that for a little while, and I did that from, man, 2010 to 2016. But then I started to hate it. I was like, I thought it was creative. I had supposedly gotten all these prophetic words about it, and I was like, but man, I don't like it. Like, I was doing weddings, and I just hated it. And then I got into business, and I realized, wow, like, I'm really creative, I think, at finding deals and at financing deals. You know, I I could go on a long spiel about all the deals that I've been able to do or to finance and i won't because i'm sure we talked about it but creativity doesn't just have to be arts it it takes a lot of creativity i feel like honestly to be a business owner and to especially at least for us to be in real estate if you're not creative and if you can't like you said have multiple exit plans for how your deal is like you just can't go into a flip thinking i'm just gonna flip this house it's gonna be great it's gonna be awesome That's because i is. did that i did that my first flip was this is gonna be a flip it's gonna be amazing we're gonna make a gazillion dollars and then everything went to hell and I lost $28,000 and didn't make $40,000. So I lost $70,000 with a newborn because I had no other exit plan. It was, this is only a flip. I didn't think about possibly refinancing it into a rental. If things went south or owner financing it, all these things that now I know that I could have done. And, but if I would have used my creativity, then I think, and I, and I don't, it's okay. Cause it is what it is. Hindsight's always 2020, but, uh, I think my story could have turned out a little bit differently, although I do like that part of my story because it's, it was, a, for me, a huge pain point that I had to work through uh, that led me to where I am today. So, all good. Um, so, what do you think was your secret to success as you went from a six-figure net worth to now a seven-figure net worth? You ready for it? I'm ready.
0: There's no secret. It's just doing the work, taking up that book, making that connection going to that meeting, going to that event, sending that offer, closing that deal, it, there's literally no secret. I think it's just, I, th- I honestly think, and I'm not trying to discredit your question. It's a great question. it's no, It's great. It's okay. I, I think society just wants the secrets, right? They want to yeah. be let in on the secret when in, in reality, it's just a little bit of education, a little bit of self-discipline, uh, believing in yourself and your abilities yeah. and some good old fashioned work, you know, um, I've, I've had my fair share of having to do some manual work here and there but uh, and just work in general. And um, like I said, I think a lot of people get caught up in trying to make multiple streams of income, and they just go in a circle. And so build one, run it solidly, and then go on to the next whenever it can run kind of without you.
1: I think that's great, though, because there's a lot of gurus out there who try to sell, like, these are my seven secrets for being blah, blah, blah. And people buy into the crap and they spend the money, but that's how these guys are getting you. They're getting you on this hopium of becoming a you know, overnight gazillionaire and they sell you this four hundred dollar course because you have these secrets and then it's stuff that you could have just Googled or just looked at YouTube. Yeah. So I mean,
0: I, I think there's value in certain courses, like and for there certain are. people I'm not discrediting them. Yeah, yeah. And for certain people, you know, you just need the information organized and right there on a silver platter. That's fine. Yeah. Um, I just think there's a limit to how much you're gonna be spending like, you know 50k for a, a course is insane I or think 20k can, like me. <laughs> yeah, it can be done without it now. There's 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 a difference between courses uh, And there's a difference between masterminds and not all masterminds are the same uh, or worth it, but there's su- certainly value in being around eight nine figure guys at a retreat or at an event or on a you know vacation in a sense but with with business stuff yep. uh, speakers learning networking that that it could be worth high dollar i think it just depends on where you're at uh in your point of in your point of your career
1: yeah and i think that's important like we've we've beat this into the ground but i think it's important to surround yourself with people who are doing the things that you want to do or who maybe have the net worth that you want to have or maybe who uh, they they appear to be a good father and a good husband and you want to be that, okay? So go surround yourself with them and learn those things. It's all about, like what you said earlier, networking and, and proximity. I think proximity is a good word. You know, I, you uh, know, that quote I talked about probably a gazillion times, so forgive me, everyone. But, you know, you want to be a millionaire, surround yourself with five and you'll become a sixth. Well, uh, I mean, that's kind of true. I mean, I know, uh, I think four or five millionaires now who are now some of my really good friends, because, I mean, we've all kind of come up to, to where we are now, but some of these people, I didn't even know they're millionaires, but you know, I later found out. But um, it should being around like-minded individuals who will, you know, uh, kind of push you to become, I think, the better version of yourself. So, okay, I got two more questions for you. One of them you weren't expecting. It's a fun one. Don't get worried. But the last one is, if you could be remembered for one thing, what
0: would it be? I would say, uh, first, you know, uh, just showing the, the love of God to others, regardless if they're believers or not. Um, I think, you know, that why, why are we here right on earth? And, and I think that that's, that's one thing that a lot, a lot of, um, Christians aren't super great at cause you know, they're worried about whatever they're doing in their life. And whenever I first, you know, came to believe or was saved, um, I dealt with a lot of, uh, you know maybe judgment or whatever you want to call it, but I, I didn't always feel that. And so like my mission now is to make sure that, you know, regardless of what you believe or whatever, I'm still going to treat you the way you should be treated, you know, the golden rule. And I'd say also my willingness to help others achieve their goals and, and really just better their life. Uh, I think I, I've said this before, but I, I believe that greatness is the ability to inspire those next to you and uh, and then of course, being the best family man that I can be, uh, being a man with, you know, someone that was known that changed the family line and did things differently. Um, you know, it all starts with you. So
1: that's so good. All right. My last one for you. So recently, uh, our mutual friend exposed your TikTok
0: account. Oh my goodness.
1: Oh, uh, here we go. So like you talked about earlier, uh, you're introverted. I know you as the introverted Christian. So I found your account. <laughs> And it's pretty funny, and not how I would normally perceive you in real life. So, which is great, because it's it's a kind of a stretch, right? So, how important is it for business owners to step outside their comfort zone to reach the masses or to reach other people they wouldn't maybe normally reach?
0: I had very strong feelings against it for a while because you know it's it's the Gen Zer thing to do. Like you know, I'm I'm about to be thirty. I'm cool. Like, those guys, you know, on TikTok and stuff, are they really that cool? I don't know. But so I struggled with it for a little bit, and I decided that um, the thing about TikTok was if I made an account, nobody knew me. Uh, I wasn't going to go – I wasn't following uh, friends and family when I first started it. And because on Instagram is, you know, mostly – my Instagram is really where I post a lot of my personal stuff. Facebook. It's more so business because I have so many random people that I don't know and yeah, I'm kind true. of I'm, I'm kind of a private person, so I don't like to put all my stuff out there. Um, and uh, and then TikTok was another one because nobody knew me. so I felt like comfortable making content and not worrying about like what my friends were gonna make fun of me for or whatever. And it was great for a little while until <laughs> until uh you know it was stumbled across and um but the crazy thing about tiktok from what i've seen is that depending on what you make and and my only problem with tiktok is that you know the majority of people on there just want to be entertained and and don't get me wrong there's tons of creative super funny people on there it's great if you're an entertainer that's your platform go to to tiktok yeah for real build your your platform there but um as far as the educational piece it's not it's not there and maybe it'll change later on but so but I still put it out there because I know it's uh it reaches people that don't even know me and I'm able to reach people that you know you would never like a couple of my videos have gone i guess sem- semi viral and uh they've reached 200,000 people like I would never in my mind would have thought a <laughs> video uh, and, and it was an entertainment type video but, like, one of them was actually on Dave Ramsey.
1: And, oh, I love uh, that, the shower one.
0: Yeah, so, like, <laughs> uh, you'd have to go see it to know what he's talking about because uh, it sounds weird. <laughs> What's your TikTok uh, handle or whatever it's called? It's Christian underscore M-E-R-C one. Go follow him. So I try to be a little entertaining, but I also try to throw knowledge in there as well. So that way you get a little bit of both. But, you know, I'm not, super, I'm not you know, posting stuff every single day. It, it is a little hard. To Make content. I'm not even gonna lie. Um, yeah.
1: I have to really.
0: I have to really sit and think about it. It's just another another way to reach people, you know. And my whole thing is like, like I said earlier, the, the willingness to help people. Uh, you know, because I know I remember where I started and where I came from, and it was no, it was nowhere near. I would never have thought that I was gonna be here today. So if I can just uh, help one person change their life, uh, get it started on their their dream you know I'd be happy so
1: yeah well no I think it's I think it's great what you're doing on TikTok because it's like I said a minute ago it's creative and you're having fun uh earlier today I was I was on dad duty trying to do homeschool with my daughter my daughter is is, she's high energy she likes to have fun that's all she wants to do all day so when it comes to like getting serious I can't necessarily do that with her so the homeschooling that I did today, I just made it fun with her. And she was fully engaged for a whole 20 minutes, which for a five-year-old, I think that's, you know, astronomical. So it's great. But, like, I kept her engaged, and I made it fun, and she learned. So what you're doing and what and what I hopefully maybe will eventually do if I ever get around to it is making fun and engaging content where people can learn, but it's also fun at the same time. And I think that's uh,
0: – I don't know. It's creative. I like it. it and it's also, like, it really – man it really was uncomfortable to make these videos to post these videos like a lot of it most of my stuff is like educational but sometimes you know i'll i'll jump on one of the trends the audio trend sounds and i'll make something you know kind of entertain entertainment wise and uh it it's hard like it's like it gets you out of your comfort zone and that's why i did it
1: yeah, but I think that's important though. Like you said earlier, in, even in the podcast, we have to do things that aren't comfortable sometimes to achieve the results that we want. And uh, like, sure, I could see where those videos would be maybe uncomfortable for you because uh, I know you, but <laughs> I think they're really funny and I think you should keep doing it. So,
0: well, I appreciate the sport. <laughs>
1: Yeah, man. Well, dude, this this has been. Uh, I know I said uh, a, two episodes ago was my favorite, but this might just be my favorite. I think because I would consider us very close friends. I really like your story. I, I like that I've been able to to see where you've come from. I love the wisdom that you share. You know, you're only thirty years old, but I think you have the mind of someone probably in their their forties. It's just been a great episode. So, I, and I want to publicly acknowledge you and just say that i'm proud of you and all that you've done yeah man it was a fun episode
0: i appreciate it appreciate everyone listening in uh i mean i actually oh i created an instagram specifically for uh i'll eventually start overloading with business and memes and and uh, uh, news finance stuff but you can go follow me there that one is christian.a.mercado that's my ig uh specifically for anything business related um but thank you for having me on the show um i appreciate i mean think about it like you know you got me you really got me in i know i was starting to get into real estate but i think the flipping was a a, a good component of of uh my journey so i appreciate it so
1: Amen. i mean I'm, I'm like you i just want to help other people Uh, achieve the life that they that they want and that they deserve and um, it just so happened that our wives were best friends and it was just it was easy we just we just clicked and
0: uh, it's been a fun journey man yeah and this this you know if you're listening and uh, you're like "We're, we're I'm I don't know where to get started I've said it before find someone that's already doing it see how you can help them without expecting anything and you know, maybe they'll partner on a deal with you. You never know it. It's really just about asking. And like I said earlier, here lately i've been I've been super big on um, networking with people I don't know. I've never met. I've never talked to. like you know, we became friends on Facebook via certain groups. i've I've jumped on phone calls with some of these people, uh, seeing how we can help each other. and uh, it's been it's been pretty good here here recently. so.
1: Cool. Well, this has been a great episode. I know I got stuff from it. I'm going to go back and take notes when I listen to it and edit it. And then when I listen to the gym, like I always do after we release it. So I hope you all got something out of it. Christian, thank you so much for your time. It was, uh, again, great having you on our show and uh, hearing all your wisdom. And we will catch you guys on the next one.
0: This episode of the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more tips and strategies on entrepreneurship, life, and business to help you create the life you've always dreamed of. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content on planet Earth.